What is up, everybody, and welcome into the Keeping It 1000 podcast live edition with myself, Adam Mates, and the star slash co-host of the show, George Carl. Coach, it's good to see you. It's a nervous day in Denver. Nervous day. It is a nervous day. Makes me feel man, a lot of good memories here. Man, <laughs> man. What's your level of nervousness, just observe as an observer? Oh, because mine's one hundred, like as an observer. But I'm of course nonpartisan. It's a, there's a lot of tactics, a lot of, a lot, yeah. of, a lot of things in this game that the coaches have some buttons to push. Um, Portland, did they get lucky with what happened on game four or did they reveal some weaknesses? Uh, you know, the, the tendency is the team that wins got to be careful with their cockiness right. from yeah, winning. For sure. Uh, so coming home, Portland won. They might be too arrogant. Their their confidence might go to, to you know, too cocky or arrogant attitude. They have that personality a little bit. They're flan. They're they're. I wouldn't say they're a fundamental team. They're more of a flamboyant team. Um. You know, and I I still believe in Jokic. I mean, I think <laughs> we all sit here and go, wow, he had a bad game. He didn't have a bad game. He had a decent game. He didn't have a bad game. Missed shots. That's uh, the difference. Missed shots. But, you know, we've had like three weeks where he's seven for eight in the first quarter. Right, that's true. Instead, he goes one for six in the first quarter. So it was uh, a little bit of a weird uh, beginning. And what I didn't like about the game was there was not many momentum flows by the Denver Nuggets. Right. The only momentum flow I felt was at the end of the first quarter when the second, second unit, unit came yep. back in. There was a there was an energy flow, but most NBA games have five to ten energy flows back and forth, momentum flows. That game had one, right? Uh, one for Denver. I think they had three for Portland. The start of the first, yeah. the end of the second, the start of the third. All the starters. I mean, the third was disastrous, yeah. and um, I, th- I thought the start at the beginning of the game was. I when I when I'm when I watched it again this morning. Uh, you know, Portland made some shots, right. and Denver didn't make some shots. So it was understandable that they got an eight or nine point lead, and then second unit came in, got some spirit in the game, and they got back to even. And then the starters came back in, and it's, it, it stayed flat for about the six minute mark of the second quarter until the end of the third quarter, and that was yeah. that was just you know that was. It had a little bit of a, a, a regular season pulse to it, rather than on Denver side. Yeah, rather than not a, on Portland side. Well, you know, I thought Portland it was chippy in that. I mean, they were they were aggressive. I thought I thought they I thought they showed some will to play defense every possession, which is yeah I think is a key to yeah. Portland. If Portland can play defense and make the game. A hundred and under a hundred and ten, I think it favors Portland. Yeah, and if it goes over a hundred and ten, I think it favors uh, Denver. Okay, um, it does seem to me like whoever gets just a little bit of defense. I mean, neither team can guard each other consistently in the series so far. But the teams that put in just a couple minutes of defense, you know, real really key in on it and get one of those momentum shifting runs has won 
uh, really each of these games. We're going to talk about some of the details here. I want to first remind everybody that we are presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. You can use promo code DNVR when you sign up. So we'll get right into um, the trends into Game 4. And the first thing I want to ask, I just want to get this out of the way because I hate these talking points, but there was a story that came up about a disruption that had occurred at the hotel room the night of the game, so Friday night going into Saturday. This was a game that was separated by 36 hours from Thursday night to Saturday, so it was a quick turnaround. And then allegedly there was you know, some protests going on in the lobby of the hotel and outside or, or what have you. You know, you've coached for so many years. I know you've seen a lot of these where the night of a playoff game, something happens where there's less sleep. Do you feel like that could have been at all a factor? And just sort of what's it like when a team has an unexpected disturbance the night of a game, especially a day game? I think the day game, the mentality of the day game is worse than probably what happened in the evening. Okay. Uh, but there are staged the disturbances are you you you, uh, you insinuating that the trailblazers staged not at this? all i'm not insinuating anything i don't think that i honestly don't think that I, was it at all i like that that's well, pretty classic we i can like go that. for it terry starts going deep <laughs> red arbok like i mean yeah anybody that's ever played in boston knows about the heat in the locker room or the coldness in the locker room yeah or the fire alarm going off at three o'clock in the morning all that stuff is been in the NBA, probably still is in the NBA in some form and fashion. Um, but, I mean, uh, I, I, I think the afternoon, I think the biorhythms of our body, some players don't wake up very well. Mm. Some players don't have their high energy in the morning or the afternoon. They have it more towards the night. Other players are, adapt to it very quickly and very easily. So you think the afternoonness of this game threw a real curveball? I mean, I hate that the NBA did this in general. I just don't. It seems like the Denver, the Nuggets are the. You fill out the schedule, and the Nuggets are the last team you slot in. Where do we fit the rest in, or whatever? So I hated that there was this thirty-six hour break in between games. But that being said, it was the same for Portland. To me, Game Four was so much about the energy and effort level. I know there were interesting adjustments, and I don't want to undermine mind those things, but. It is hard, and Michael Malone said this after the game, it's hard to evaluate the X's and O's of a game when the energy just isn't there to say, oh, this defense didn't work, but guys also just weren't locked into what they were supposed to be doing, so do we know if it worked or we didn't? And to me, that seemed like the ultimate story, and I want to ask this question. I thought Jokic looked tired in the fourth quarter of Game 3. I thought he looked really tired for most of Game 4, especially after that first stint that you mentioned, and I, you know, it seems to me like... They're putting him in a lot of pick and rolls. They're trying to make him work, trying to make him cover ground. And then on the other end, you know, he has to go up against a really large-bodied person in Nurkic that's just constantly bu uh, bumping him. Do you feel like this is a, a more physically taxing series for him than maybe the average of what we've seen from, from the series prior to this? Well, if I go back and analyze all the series in, that Jokic has played in, this is probably as physical of a series, especially when they play Cantor, and Cantor probably is going to play the rest of the series, but the physicality of their bigs, and they play them straight up. And I think I think what they did in, in game four that that I don't even know if you I – think, I think I charted this morning that they scored 20 points in the first half off of pick and rolls by throwing the ball to Nurkic right. in the window. And that's a lot of number. That's a big number. And that's why Lillard's inadequacies or failures were made up by, uh, by, by Nurkic, a lot by Nurkic, and by Norman, and Norman Powell. Right. Uh, 
And those two guys, I thought, were strategically adjustable by Coach Stotts. Right. I thought throwing the ball to Nurkic was definitely a plan. Are you talking about on the roll? On the roll, yeah. yeah. In the pick and roll where they, they were hedging high and right. out. And Nurkic got the ball in the middle, delivered some baskets, also delivered some passes. And then the other guy was Powell, early in the game, got a lot of touches to get downhill. To get downhill, you know, on Gordon. Right. And he got downhill. Right. And I thought there was a, another bit of an attitude of their three, their three guards to instead of shake and bake and shoot jumpers, let's take the ball into the paint and right. see what happens a little bit more. There's a lot of clips, by the way, up on the list right now on the dnvr.com. Those two, those two points, Jokic on the roll and Norman Powell in the pick and roll attacking Gordon, were two of the things that were you know highlighted with video clips today. So you can see some of that um, there. You know what was it with Nurkic? Because I feel like he's one of the keys to the series. I know you have another one. I can't wait to hear you share. But let's stick on him for a second. One of the keys has been his offensive rebounding off of roll. So even when he's not scoring. If Denver is stepping out with Jokic the way that they had, now somebody else has to rotate over, tag him, stop him from getting the roll, or box him out when he gets there. And that's a tough task, especially for Aaron Gordon, Michael Porter Jr., Compazzo, Rivers. There's not a lot of big bodies in that outside of Jokic out there. So what is the key to preventing that? If that's the key, if, if Portland's trying to get Nurkic the ball on the roll there, how does Denver stop that? Well, you go back to the drop. You go back to the drop where, oh, so where, you where the whole Jokic coverage. doesn't step up and, and is stepping into Lillard and McCollum. Um, or you go back to switching to where you keep mm. a body in front of the roll guy a little bit more where his presence isn't under the basket but a little further outside the basket. Um, the, the gig with penetration is you get rebounding. Right. You know, when, you, when you're attacking the paint and you're attacking the bigs and attacking the rim, it's difficult to give rebounding assignments. That's the gift you get when you attack the rim. And, um, you know, you can play bigger bodies. Uh, but the one thing I thought also that Portland did a pretty they they shot over the little guards a lot. And uh, they would come off the pick and roll. And Powell especially was very effective on the 17-footer. Jokic was in front of him. He just jumped up and shot it over him. McCollum can do that, and Lillard all can do that at a very high level. And when you're playing, Monte Morris might be your biggest guard, uh, and he's not very big. He doesn't, right. At least he doesn't play bit very big as a defender. And uh, they played Howard. They're trying to play Howard to get some points in the game, and he's really small. Uh, you know, uh, Fa Faku is is. A great, I love watching him play. But, you know, I think he's going to have to be more dominating in his decision-making by that, by helping other guys get better shots. Offensively. Offensively. You know, um, you know, he's the only guy really with the ball that attacks to make someone right, else right. better. Yeah. And what you basically have is, I'll go back to my favorite thing, is a lack of point guard play. Right. They're saying to Jokic, you're not going to be a passer. We're going to let you play one-on-one. -on -one. We're not going to let you have any passing skills in the game unless it comes in flow or off a turnover or off a bad decision-making. And so all of a sudden you don't have anybody on, your, on the court right now that can get 10 assists a game except probably Faku. Right. And uh, 
I think they're missing each other a little bit. They need they help. This is not a team of individual skills. Portland has more skills than Denver does. Right. Jokic is better than Lillard, but probably from the skill asset of after from two to eight, they probably have more talented offensive players than than Denver. So Denver's got to help each other along the way. Home court's going to help that. Making some three ball, you know, making the three ball is always going to be high on this. In today, today's playoffs, I thought Portland made, I think, five threes or maybe six threes in the first quarter. Teams that make it early in the game seem like they make it the rest of the game. Do defenses adjust to that? Is that because defense in a first quarter, like, oh, they're making shots tonight, you step out? Psychologically, is it just subconsciously you step out a step further? I mean, what is it that the first quarter? Because I agree, it's so important to establish those threes early on. Well, you know, I, I've always had a rule that you don't when you when you when, at the end of a game you don't want to give up three balls, especially when you have a lead. And so there is an adjustment at the end of the game to give up maybe a few more layups, right? And don't give up wide open threes. I've actually talked to a few coaches about the way some of these games have the rhythm of the game. Where, I mean, Denver's done it. Denver's come out and made nine out of eleven threes in the first quarter. There are teams that are putting up 23-point shots in a game. That Those are difficult things to overcome. I don't care. you got to really be good defense. Your efficiency, your offensive efficiency has got to be off the chart to catch up to that hole that you get dug. And so I, I've actually felt maybe early in the game, starting out in a end-of-game situation on the three ball, makes a little bit of sense. Um but it's just where we are in the game of basketball. It's evolving. The, the analytics are telling right. us shoot it quick, shoot it right. a lot, and, and, and figure out the game as that being a top priority of your offense. Um, and, I, you know, I, 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 look at, I look at the Lakers. I don't think the Lakers are in a championship team right now. Because the three ball is too tough. They can't, they can't make the yeah. three ball. Great defensively, though. Incredible. They're the best defensive team. Yeah. But there, there will be better defensive teams as the playoffs come along. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember in the year Toronto won a championship. They really got better defensively almost every series right. to where they were a dominant defensive team at the end of, against uh, Golden State at the end of the series. Let me ask you about that because one of my things about the playoffs, I say one playoff series, you can agree or disagree, is worth 50 regular season games of experience for a young player. That's, about, that's just a number I made up. But I think that you go in the playoffs, it's such a mental game, and this is a good segue to Michael Porter, because he looks one way in the regular season and another way in the postseason so far, I think in large part because teams are attacking him. They're trying to put him in unfamiliar or situations where he's weakest, and it's not the same flow of, okay, maybe guys aren't locked into assignment or have a game plan specifically for me, but now they do. And in this last game, one of the storylines for me was he had three points and three shots. Um, So what, you know... That's why I wanted to piggyback off of this is my hope is, and I think Nuggets fans' hope is, that you can get through the series with a win, but also that there's a huge growth curve for him specifically as this series goes on. What have you seen from him lately? (laughs) You're laughing. I don't think you're seeing that growth curve so far. Well, I think the key to the game is uh, the Powell-Porter Jr. matchup. My feeling is that Powell found – I mean, Powell was really good for Portland at the end of the season and has not been very good in the playoffs against us. And so 
uh, he, he was a big factor early in that game. It, it released Lillard into not having to be a dominant player. You have to remember, I don't think McCollum has had that special game yet either. Right, yeah. And I would expect McCollum to have a special game in this series somewhere along the way. He's kind of become the, the reserve, the backup guy that I'll be there when you need me uh, guy. But I think what Powell and Porter Jr., Powell not only was great offensively, I thought he got into Porter Jr.'s head a little bit. Oh, for sure. Uh, you know, there was a physicality to his game that wasn't there before. Nurkic was a little more physical on Jokic. Uh, you know, their whole defensive presence seemed to be a little bit in the face of Denver rather than soft and, and Denver could control it a little bit. And I don't think that's going to change. Uh, they're running at the three ball, making them put the ball on the floor, making them escape dribble or whatever way they want to get the three ball up. And right now, you know, Jokic is probably their best three-ball shooter. And it looked like Nurkic was even up on, on Jokic yeah. a little bit even in those presence. Talk about the physicality because I'm with you, and I think it even goes beyond physicality. I think there's a um, <laughs> mental aggressiveness that they are being with him. After every time, and they're, they're looking for him in pick and rolls. They're looking to attack him. They got a couple plays, pet plays that they are going to out of timeouts and at key moments start the second half or whatever that specifically look to target him. I know a stack pick and roll they've run a bunch of different times that puts him on Lillard with Lillard running downhill. Um, they've got a screen the screener action, a back screen. Both of these are up on the list, by the way. But they're all designed with making Porter have to step out on Lillard. And not just him, also Norman Powell, just getting physical with him. And after every bucket that they get off of one of these plays, the whole team is looking at him and screaming at him, meaning Portland. And to me, it seems like they are trying to rattle a guy saying, you're the guy we're going after, and you know, and, and take him off his game. And three shots in the last game, three points, he was taken out of the game. Yeah, they didn't have a second actor. You know, Jokic is off to a bad start, and usually you just drift into your second guy right. or your third guy. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I, think, I think Rivers got off to a little bit of a first quarter start. He made a couple threes early, maybe had eight, eight or nine points in the first quarter, but he died. He faded on that. Um, I, I think it's a really co a coaching matchup tonight. I mean, really, I, 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 it'll be interesting. I'm trying to figure out why we don't put Gordon on Lillard from the beginning of the mm, game. Mm. Why don't we just say, hey, we're going to switch all these pick and rolls. You know, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think there's... Will Gordon no, switch on to Nurkic then on a screen? Is this what you're thinking? I, I have no problem Gordon on Nurkic, but I do have problems with 20 points getting scored in the window of the pick and roll game early, right, early right. in the basketball game. The confidence that comes from together basketball was more powerful than a guy making four or five in a That's row. That's true, yeah. When the ball is popping and everybody's engaged and more involved, there's a mental flow. And group flow is really, really powerful, and it's the most powerful flow, mental flow in basketball. When you, when everybody feels they're a part of the game, everybody focuses better, concentrates better, and usually delivers more. Yeah. The other matchups, I think one of the reasons maybe Denver is slow to do that is you do have Faku, who's so small, who I think has to play. Maybe Monte, even if you put Monte Morris in his spot, it's still a small guard. So that person slides over to C.J. McCollum. Does your other guard slide over to Norman Powell? You start to maybe you start to feel undersized at the other spots. Does that not, would not that that not concern you? Well, I would be picking on Norman Powell, covering him a little more than playing. I would I, if Gordon. If I think Gordon's my best defender. 
I don't want to waste him on Norman Powell. I want, okay. I, I would rather waste him or shorten his minutes and put him on Lillard to the point where you have no help, no no responsibility except give mm-hmm. his make his life miserable in the game. I mean, Rivers is a good defender too. Right. Uh, and so I think you got to make where you want to place those guys tonight. I mean, I remember coaching a game against uh, Mitch Richmond, Chris Malm, and Tim Hardaway my first year in Seattle. And the three, the way we thought we were going to match up against those guys, by game four, it was totally the exact opposite. You know, we thought this guy could cover Hardaway, and it was another guy that could cover Hardaway. And we thought Derek McKee could cover Richmond, and Derek McKee was better on Hardaway. I mean, it's just it's just weird stuff that – as the series goes on, you learn things, and then you try to magnify your strengths, and you try to hide your weaknesses. So going back to Porter, you know, what would your message be to him in these days in between the last game and this one to try to, one, give him confidence, but also just to, to he needs a big game, I feel, tonight for Denver to win. If not, a, and I don't mean a big game like 30 points. He needs to have more than three points. He's got to be more involved than he was in this last one. Uh, what's your message to a young player like that that doesn't let him off the hook, but also tries to instill some confidence. Um, I'll tell you the exact same thing I've told my son a hundred times when he was playing college and high school basketball. Why do you make your first couple shots jump shots? Mm, Why don't you make them free throws or layups? Learn how to cheat out and get a dunk. You know, go up and get an offensive rebound and put it back in. Do things that are easier to do rather than do the hard things. Because when failure hits you in the face, there's a recovery that has to come, and sometimes when the other team is trying to, you know, take away your confidence, missing early jump shots, and I think I basically think Porter Jr. tries to make the three ball too early in the game. Mm. It goes to I mean it's his comfort zone. Well, the comfort zone is if you got eight points in your pocket, you can miss a couple. That's a great point. If you don't have eight points in your pocket, you can't. Yeah. You get, you're all nervous when they don't go in. What do you expect from him tonight, or is it just a mystery? I mean. We haven't seen him enough in the playoffs, but what do you, if you were to predict what happens with him tonight? I think I think he's I think he's moved into a territory that he could have a good game tonight. Yeah, uh, I I hope he has a good game tonight. I, I think we need him to have a good game tonight because not only does he have to have a good game tonight, I think he's got to have a good, <laughs> another, he's got to have another game in a more difficult situation in a couple of days. That, that's why it's almost, you know, he could come out tonight and go five for five from the three-point line on contested threes, and it would be great. Maybe Denver wins if that happens, but you want him to have some kind of breakthrough that's beyond that, that's, hey, this is now how you combat how they're guarding you that is sustainable and is not reliant on you just making a couple shots. And I'm curious to see it. I mean, this is one of the things. I was hard on Michael Porter last night on on the DNVR Nuggets podcast and in the list today with some video clips of of different things, but it's by no means saying it's a no hope or this or that. This is what's fun about sports. You get young players, the spotlight on them brighter than it's ever been in their life, and he's had a spotlight on him, but now he's on a stage where it's like, hey, man, they need you to to come up and, and save it, and I'm curious to see what happens with him. To me, that's uh, get your popcorn ready because I'm so, I'm so fascinated. And what's fascinating about it is what Porter Jr. is doing at a young age is difficult. Yeah. And his I mean, history has shown very few players. Magic Johnson's performed early in his career at a very early age. Jordan didn't perform great in the playoffs early in his career. And most of that list says, along with you might have a good game, you might have some great games, but you might not have success either. 
And I think right now we just want Porter Jr. to have a good game tonight. Yeah. Um, let's take a break. On the other side, though, there's a lot of other things to kind of talk about in this series. I want to know if there's a player that should play more, if there's a matchup he'd like to see a little bit more emphasized. Then I want to talk about Carmelo Anthony and his relationship to Denver. I'm sure Coach has a lot of very interesting things to say about that, as well as some of the negative things that have been happening with fans in recent weeks and what maybe that's all about. But first, we have a presenting sponsor today, guys, and that is DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app and, of course, my favorite sportsbook app. Um, it's easy to navigate, has instructions for brand-new betters, so if you open up for the first time, you're not going to be lost. What do I do? Where's all of this? Uh, it's very easy, and to get you started, they've got this great offer. You bet $1 on any team left in the playoffs in the NBA playoffs. $1, and if they win, they win $100. Who's the safest bet to win their next game? It might be you got Philadelphia and Washington, although we don't know the status of Embiid. You got Utah coming home against Memphis. That might be the one. That might be the the, the safest bet. Do you have one you... Is there a team you think is definitely going to win? The team I trust right now more than any team is Utah. Yeah, I think uh, so too. Right now, the, the team. And the guy I trust because of that is... I think Mike Conley's playing great. Former Memphis Grizzly. He won him the game last night, man. I mean, Mike Conley has big cojones. Man, he's a good player. He's a really good player. Um, so you bet $1. It would, maybe you don't want to bet $1 to win 100 even if it, if it costs you having to bet on the Jazz. That doesn't feel good. But you can pick, put $1 on any team, and if you win, you win $100 in free bets and site credits. It's safe, it's secure, it's reliable. You deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. goes right into your bank account. So download the top-rated sportsbook app right now and use promo code DNVR when you sign up to get that $1 for $100. Uh, offer. Again, that's $1 to win 100 Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Wage, uh, wager paid in on-site credit. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. I also want to remind everybody that in this chat, Super Producer Kale right now is earmarking all of the, the best questions that you have for Coach at the end. We'll do this mailbag style, and you guys can ask your questions directly to uh, Coach Carl here. And um, it's a great way to kind of interact with the show. But I want to first go to just some adjustments for this game, and namely personnel adjustments. Is there anybody that hasn't been playing so far in the Nuggets roster that you feel that's a guy that maybe you give a little bit more run or can have a bigger assignment? <clears throat> Well, the question I ask is, what's the status of Will Barton? Yeah. Is he playing that, tonight? I think he's out. Oh, he's out tonight? I thought. I don't uh, think it's been ruled out, but from what Malone said yesterday in his media availability, it sounded like he's not counting on him. Maybe that's, maybe that's hiding a card up your sleeve. I don't know. I don't think you mess with a lot of the rotation except reducing, giving more minutes to someone and have more confidence. Malone likes to play a guy when he's not playing a guy. He usually takes him out and tries to play another guy. I would give I'd give Porter Jr. a little more leash tonight. Uh, try to get him going a little bit. I don't know what exactly how that. I think the two of the first three plays in game, the game four though were run for Porter. And right. they, they, they were just covered well by by Portland. Um, I, I think you need a secondary score if it's going to be a close game. Um, you know, you, you know, a blowout game like the we had game four, you can't analyze, overanalyze what happened there. But I just think right now uh, that game, I didn't know who the second – I didn't know who the number one scorer was. Right. Jokic was okay, but he wasn't the great efficient player that we've had all year long. So I don't know if that guy is – you know uh, – Austin Rivers has maybe a game of his career in game three and wins it in the fourth quarter with making four threes. Most of those threes are difficult threes. I think one was open, three was somewhat covered. 
I'm not sure that's on the forte. I think it's, um, for me, it's Jokic, Jokic, Jokic is game yeah. one, game two, game three. Yeah. Uh, what about Shaq Harrison? I mean, he's really rough offensively, but defensively, he looks like he does a great job on all of Portland scorers. I agree with that. Uh, I just see why you like him there, and I would like him probably more as a small-minute player in a situational play. Um, but I, I just have a lot of respect for Lillard, McCollum, and now Norm, Norman Powell. They're pretty confident, no matter who they cover. They they kind of have an they have a. If you're going to pressure me, I'm I know what I'm going to do. If you're going to double team me, I know what I'm going to do. They found the, they found the window in the pick and roll. Um, and I, and as I said, I'm probably a little more scared that McCollum has not had a big game yet in this series. And I just remember two years ago, Game Seven, that guy <laughs> had the big game was McCollum. What's your confidence level right now, one way or the other? Do you feel like you know what direction the series is going to tilt? I think I think my confidence level in Jokic is big time. I think Jokic is going to you know, if I had to bet on anything in the game tonight, I bet Jokic is going to have a triple-double, or at least he's going to have over 30. He's going to shoot, and he's going to have a very efficient game. He's going to come bounce back at a high, high level. The thing that makes me a little nervous is the three-ball. The confidence of the three ball, I know we're on our home court, but I still think the power of the three ball in these playoffs have been has been just mag it magnifies the importance of where the game is going. Uh, so uh, I don't know who their three best three best three ball shooting team is. I didn't like Aaron Gordon backing up, taking th- bad threes last game. Mm. I'd like us to try to find better threes and hopefully make some more threes. Yeah. Um, the thing that's, I think, tough about this season for everybody, you look at the West right now, I think it looks more wide open than it's been in a decade. And mm-hmm. it, I didn't feel that way before Anthony Davis went down the other day, but a groin injury, we don't know. I mean, he's listed as day-to-day, but it looks like he's out for game five. You don't, you never know. But right now I look at it and I go, Utah's a great team. They just got Donovan Mitchell back. There's probably still a little rust with him, kind of working him in, but they're a great team. After that... You know, Phoenix is an unproven team. I think they're great, but they're unproven. The Lakers are now banged up. Denver's banged up. Portland is good, not great, in my opinion. They're not a very great defensive team. I think the West, to me, even the Clippers, you know, giving games to Dallas early and looking vulnerable, I just look at this and I think, not to get ahead of yourself, but even Denver, as shorthanded as they are, maybe has a better shot than people realize if they can keep it going. Not saying they're favorites, but everybody is so wounded, and this this playoff race in the West right now is so wild. Do you see it the same way as it's way more open than maybe it was even two weeks ago? I agree. I'm a, I can't deny that. I think I've said, I said, I think the last show we were on, that the magic of winning the championship usually occurs in the second round or the third round. It doesn't occur in the first round. The first round is kind of a slap. Let's wake up. We got to get serious. You know, okay, we lost this game. We shouldn't have lost, but we'll be okay. And you you, you get through the first round, and then the great matchups come in the second round or in the conference finals. Uh, I think there's going to be some great matchups. But I don't think anybody's growing up right now. The only team, the thing I like about Utah is I think the next, I think Mike Conley is a hell of a point guard and has been a proven playoff winner. Yeah. And he almost got there last year. He was starting to play better last year for Utah. 
But the way he played last night and the way he's played most of this series is he's playing like the old Mike Conley. And that's why I, I tilt a little bit towards Utah. But I, I think I think there's six teams that could could make a win a surprise. I mean, I think Denver could win this, Portland could win this. Dallas I mean, I know I'm struggling now. I mean, he's hurt. If he's hurt, maybe that's right. another guy on that list of injuries that you you mentioned. Um, but Don Doncic for two games looked like he's the most dominating player in the NBA. He did, yeah. And then you got the East Coast with Milwaukee sweeping. Philly looks like they're real. Except for Embiid went down last night, and I mean, and who it, knows? You know, I yeah. mean, even just a little nagging injury takes him down a little. Level. And, and is, it, is it all because of the the schedule being bunched up? Is it yeah, because of COVID? Is it because what is all the reasoning? I mean, we've had injuries in playoffs before that were factors in who won championships, but this list is long. It's a long list of guys that. I mean, you got Embiid and and Anthony Davis that. I don't know if they'll ever, you know. I've always felt players, when they feel like they're on the verge of failing, have a tendency to get hurt. Mm. I know that's conspiratory, <laughs> but you know, you know. I mean, you know, they, some reason players think, "Well, I, my ankle. I, I played with a bad ankle. Uh, that's why yeah. I had a bad series." You know? I love it. Some spice. Well, I'm going. You know. You know, don't be ashamed about not playing well in playoff basketball because it's a process. You got to learn. You got to learn how to become a playoff basketball player. Yeah, that's there's no doubt. That's why I think Michael Porter is so fascinating. Is this is a whole new learning experience for him? It happened in the bubble, by the way, last year in the seeding round. I think he had that 37 point game, 30 point game. He thought, oh, he's ready for the playoffs. You get to the playoffs, and then it was a whole different puzzle for him to sort of solve and I think the same thing's going on with him right now I don't think it's is he a good is he a bad player is he fake this or that I think it's a puzzle that he is now has to solve and he don't you don't get to solve this puzzle in the regular season you have to wait for it to appear in the postseason before you can even start I mean Michael Porter Jr. in many ways is the number one priority for Portland oh yeah Jokic is inevitable Jokic is number one but they don't have a lot of schemes on Jokic I think they're doing some things with they're trying to make Jokic put the ball on the floor and then crowd his dribble yeah. a little bit. Um, but with Porter Jr., I'm, I'm pretty sure they're trying to make his life totally and completely miserable. Yeah, it's good. That's Pressure makes diamonds. <laughs> we'll find out uh, if that's what's on the other side. One of the – I don't want to say fascinating because to me it's actually been a little bit frustrating, but you know, Mark Spears, somebody I respect an enormous amount, knows more about NBA media than I'll ever know. Uh, had a, a comment the other day about Nuggets fans booing Carmelo, and he called it pathetic. And I took offense to that. There, we're going to talk about some of the things fans have done that have definitely crossed lines. But booing to me is a protest. It is a it is a uh, a fair and decent way to interact with a game. And the fact that Carmelo, ten years after departing Denver, is still getting booed by Nuggets fans, to me, I understand it. Speaking on behalf of Nuggets fans and speaking to Nuggets fans, I understand why they still do it. I think Nuggets fans have an enormous amount of love for Carmelo Anthony. And I hope that when it's all said and done, we get to celebrate Carmelo and he gets to be a part of this team's history and, and all of this. But right now, one, he's on the other team. And two, I think there is still something to... Why is it always better that the league is better when New York is better? That when players go there, it's better. And, oh, the Knicks are good and the Lakers are good. And isn't this great for everybody? And I just, I think Nuggets fans have heard this for 10 years now. And they think, 
are we just a footnote in your story here or in everybody else's story? And Carmelo is taking on a little bit of a brunt of that of the whole of that. Like he sort of represents that 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 dynamic to Nuggets fans. So I want to ask, do you feel like Nuggets fans are wrong to boo Carmelo? And how do you see from your perspective, your vantage point, the relationship between Carmelo and and the Denver Nuggets fans? I don't think it's out of sync with human human nature. Right. I mean, I think we're acting just like, you know, we were, we were left. Right. We were told, see you later. Right. We're not good enough for the, your brand or whatever that means. And I think there's a resentment that is honest. Right. Um, I don't, I don't think you, I think you can be both. You can respect a greatness of a player and still be angry at him for how he acts. I'll go even further than respect. I think there's a true, genuine love for Carmelo Anthony in Denver, still amongst diehard Denver Nuggets fans. It's a love. But it's also, as you put it, a resentment. And it's not just a resentment at him. It's almost symbolic of the whole, of this whole idea of, like, if you're in Denver, you're doing something wrong. Small market, you know? You know, I mean, baseball has the same thing. I mean, right. the Broncos are fortunate enough to win championships, but... I think I think that the thing you got to realize is, first of all, fans do not boo bad players. <laughs> fans true. boo good coaches and good players. It's a good point. Uh, because they're they're a little nervous about them because they yeah. realize that they can beat them. And to be honest with you, Melo's actions early in the, at least the two of the games, I thought he was an antagonist. I thought he was out there to kind of elbow a guy. I mean, he pushed Nokic down. I mean. I mean, there are things that Melo is doing that I think is putting the spotlight on. Hey, what's that all about? Game, game one, he was definitely feeding off of that energy, the boo energy, and, and sort of a like, okay, if you're going to boo me, I'm going to stick it to you in the form of making a lot of three-pointers, which he did, and also, as you mentioned, getting a little chippy at knocking Jokic to the ground and some of that stuff. But, you know, I mean, Melo is who he is. I mean, he's a hell of a scorer that still can put a big number on the board but also can take bad shots and have a selfish nature to his game. And and that, that that's what Coach Slots has got to manage tonight. Can you get him in the game and get him into a, a offensive flow where, like in, the, in game one, where all of a sudden, you know, they're making all the shots from everywhere, from Simmons to, to Melo. I think I think Portland's bench has to perform because it's not very good. Right. The bench is probably one of the weakest assets of their their personality, and it and it relies on two guys, yeah. Simmons and Melo. Yeah. And one of those guys probably got to have a pretty effective game for them to have a a successful outcome. It's it's interesting. It's ironic, almost to, in a way that. The Nuggets were one of the first games of the playoffs. They're booing Carmelo, and people were, oh, how how terrible of Nuggets fans to do this. But the relationship between fans and the NBA has been ugly for the last two weeks. Really, this entire playoff run. We had a thrown water bottle. We've had popcorn spilled on uh, Russell Westbrook. We've had a player spit on uh, Trey Young. And a bunch of other things. You know, John Morant's family had some disgusting things said to him. So uh, there's been a lot of ugliness from fans so far. Is What do you make of it? And, and a broader sort of question, is this the pandemic and people don't, you know, pent up anger or frustration and don't know how to act or something like that? Or is there a broader sort of trend between the relationship between the fans and the NBA at the moment? I don't know if I'm sociologically smart enough to figure that one out. Uh, my gut feeling is I think it's a microcosm of what our country is going through. That's a good point. I think it's a little bit of 
the racism's out there. And I think it's COVID and being copped, co- co- stuck, stuck in your house for a couple, couple years where your daily exercise and daily activities have been massively changed. And I, I just think there's a mental health problem with all of us. I mean, I'm, I, I have more depressed days than I've had. I, I admit that. You know, there are more days I'm hanging around. I, I need to get motivated just to go exercise or do something. And, and I also got to think that basketball players now have gone from being athletes to being Hollywood celebrities. And there's a resentment that goes with that, too. Right. I mean, love, love, hate. I mean, we, you know, a lot of, a lot of, when you watch a movie, you love or hate somebody sometimes, and you know, you don't even understand the character that it's an actor. Sometimes you just hate that guy who's acting that way. Uh, and I think there's there are there are cities and franchises that have a lot of love for their fan base that are a little more active, and I think Denver is a very very positive fan base for the Denver Nuggets. It seems like I, I, my theory, you know, there seems to be such a relationship between social media and growing resentments across all demographics. All, there's political resentments, there's racial resentments, all, all these different things. And it seems like maybe this is just brewing to where fans now feel you get online, you feel comfortable adding a, an athlete and telling them all these terrible things about their family and this or that. And maybe it's breeding this idea that people are now getting to arenas and they think, oh, this is how we are now. I don't, I don't know, but it just seems like it's crossed such a line. It's been happening for a long time, but it's really coming to the forefront in these playoffs. Uh, I, I think the social stuff is probably more powerful than you think it is. Some from just the social media, the social media, the Twitter, the Instagram, all that stuff. You can punch somebody so easily and feel good about it. Right, right. And you have no repercussion because of it, and. I think you know the, the line of throwing a bottle that has that could actually hurt. Maybe maybe if it hits a kid, it could really hurt a right. kid. You know, and if that bottle's glass, it would even be worse. So I, I think there's. I think I think I also think maybe the security of the buildings is not as up to date, or active, or you know, a lot of these buildings have 200 events a year in them, and now they've had 20. Right, and uh, so may- maybe the security needs to be updated and ma- you know manipulated in a way that can be a po- more of a positive influence than a negative influence. Did you ever feel unsafe in an arena? <laughs> no, no. I, mean, I, I, I was a fighter. I was. A, <laughs> I, you didn't. Yeah. You felt like maybe somebody would attack, but you felt like you would hold well, your own if they did. I, I was stupid in that area. You know, I. I mean, you know, I. You know, I I I, I, th- I realized very early the basketball fights don't last more than thirty that's true. seconds. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Just got to hold on for a couple seconds. Um, another major story here that I think is interesting. I want to get your thoughts on Naomi Osaka, the tennis player. She declined to do a presser earlier this week, a post game presser, and then as a result ended up quitting. It threatened to be thrown out, and then quit the the, the tournament. Um, and it's become a talking point. One of the things I wonder, you know, the media does talk to players after every single game. They talk to coaches as well after practices. There are times back in the day, you know, before COVID kind of really disrupted everything where it did feel sometimes like I was at Pepsi Center three times in one day talking to the players and I'd be like, okay, we probably could cut one or two of these out. Do you feel though, like what is, what do you feel is the responsibility of coaches and players 
to speak to the media and do you feel like it's in, it's in line for an evolution i would hope so um i always felt coaches had to speak to the media three times after shooter on before game and after the game i thought that was way too much yeah. for and i i I don't know which one you should throw out, or could you throw out two of them? I mean, I think I think you should be able to reasonably come up with a a platform that the media would be happy and 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 the players and coaches could be happy. And maybe this is a way of saying that mental health is is affected by the media. We are now being affected by social media, but we're also being affected by having to answer questions of our failures and our disappointments immediately after failing instead of having that moment of cooling down and relaxing and maybe reviewing the film and seeing what I did right and what I did wrong. I think the reaction is instantaneous. We want it to be immediate. And because of that, I think you got some guys and some women and some, some athletes that are, are bothered by it. Yeah. And maybe we should be more realistic to say that, you know, People being able to talk to the media, it's not always easy. Right. And the anxiety that comes with it, the paranoia that might come with it. And then, you know, as an organization, you want your players to say the right things. And when they when they say the wrong things, it's it hurts. It hurts the the image of of your organization and sometimes of your city. Right. To me, it's interesting and there's layers to it because at the same time, as much as I understand this and I do think there's an evolution that's in place because sometimes it can feel like redundant. We're doing this again, we're asking the same questions from the same people, all this stuff. I also worry about, uh, there's been a lot of conversation in the last 24 hours about, do we even need the media? Can't players speak to the public directly? And I always think, you know, there is a reason that there is a buffer between those things. Not just in sports as much as it is in every other arena where the media has an important role. And I do worry that we could swing too far the other way where all of a sudden there's no access and now a team is allowed to tell their own story in their own way and cover themselves. And of course, that's not what you want. You want to be able to have a third party, you know, the, the press, the fourth estate here to be able to to sort of buffer those things. So uh, to me, it's an interesting thing. And more to the point, the relationship between players and the media, players and fans, the NBA and fans, all of this stuff just seems to be fraying in a way that concerns me. There's more hatreds amongst those different groups of, of people than there are sort of working relationships right now. And I I find that to be a concern. But um, let's get to some of the questions here, Kale. You have some, uh, we have a super chat and a couple other ones. So we want to get to the super chat first. Yep. All right. Let's check out the super chat here. Uh, love George Carl. How much of a coach's job is pure basketball and how much is not? Uh, for example, business or PR, et cetera. And how much is X and O's versus managing players? You like this one. We've talked about this one before. Uh, I would say the vast majority is ego management and attitude adjustment and media relations. So I say over 50%. When we have a day, it's just basketball. It's a celebration for the coaches. <laughs> we, we just love to have a, a practice day where for some reason we're on the road and the media is only going to be two or three guys and and we can just do our jobs and do it without a lot of stress or anticipation of maybe having a conflict of some sort. Um, you know, even in a 20-point a win, there's always one or two players who are unhappy with their minutes or their performance. or there's, there's a little bit of an ego 
adjustment almost every day of every NBA season. Now, some of that is the maturity of your team, the experience of your team, the leadership of your team can sometimes take care of a lot of that. But I would say it's um, 20 years ago, it was more basketball-oriented than, than often, you know, other basketball activity-oriented. Today, it's probably more basketball, less basketball-oriented, and much more what the hell's going on, how we're going to make sure we stay positive here. Mm. What else we got? All right. This is a fun one. Coach, what is your craziest memory of fans in Europe? Oh, my God. <laughs> um, in Europe, we were playing a semifinal game to go to the European Cup. I don't know what cup it was, but it was, I think, the second cup in Europe. Which team is this you're coaching? Real Madrid. Okay. And uh, we were playing Pauk in uh, Thessalonica. And I'm at pregame meal, and I get my assistant coach asked me to come, and they said, we want to meet with you. The organizers of the game want to meet with you in the back room. And I go, wow, well, we've never done this before. Well, they had planned a bus and a false bus because they had reports that the buses were going to get stoned on the way to oh the game. Oh, my gosh. That's uh, insane. And then we get to the game. The game's a 9 o'clock game in Athens, in Thessalonica. And they have stormtroopers with their shields that would build a tunnel from the bus to get inside the building. Wow. Because the, the fans were above us. And they were throwing rocks and lighters and coins. This is insane. And then you get in the building and they have a concert going on to rev up the crowd before the game. And so when we came out on the court for our warm-up, we got bombed with coins and lighters and all this stuff. So Pauk, that game in Pauk was pretty crazy. And then it... That's also, too much. As much as it's a great story, like, that's insane. Greece is a little insane. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen the videos with firecrackers and flares going up while the yeah. game's going on, and you just think, what the hell is this? Well, I want you to know, I also played in the, we played in a uh, championship game against Messina, and Gallo's dad was on this team in Florence. Real Madrid played Bologna in Florence for the European Championship. And the fans of Bologna killed a baby bull in the parking lot before the game it's, it's a little a little intense man <laughs> a little intense uh i think the european fans are much crazier than the american <laughs> fans all right all what right. else we got all right coach what do you think of all the players who recently joined the nuggets who integrated in the best way and who and from who of them do you expect the most <clears throat> So this would, I assume, mean Faku. You've got um, Howard. You've got Austin. Gordon, Rivers, Jamichael Green. you got a lot of new faces. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, the whole thing comes down to is this team is quite different than the team that played in the bubble last year. The one that is, I think played great is Faku. I mean, I think he's giving us all he can give us. Uh, he's, we're probably asking a little bit too much of him. Um, the guy that's probably more disappointing is Gordon. And the guy that I think 
I think we need to play really well these next three games is Rivers. Yeah. I, think, I mean, Rivers has got to play like a starting player rather than a bench player. And that's asking a lot of a guy that was sitting in on his couch six weeks ago. I've really enjoyed the Austin Rivers story. I think he's been great. He's been great. I, I've enjoyed hearing him speak. I just, I, it's, I'm rooting for him. You know, a little extra. And I, and I, I, I have a quiet confidence that he's gonna. I mean, he might not, right? Might not be able to deliver this, but he has the courage to do it. And I think at times he's played at a high level in the NBA basketball that he might do it. Yeah. Let's get a couple more in. One more super chat coming in from Logan here. Coach, what do you think Jokic will do slash say during his MVP speech? <laughs> I think he'll make a joke. I think he'll make it, make it a funny. He'll try to make it funny. I mean, he, 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 he doesn't want the spotlight on him. He tries to do things that puts the spotlight someplace else. Right. Uh, his humility is, is, is genuine, is real. And I think we all enjoy it. And his comedy, even though he's, a, you know, he's broken English a little bit, his comedy is really good, too. So... I think I think he's uh, he'll make it. Uh, he'll have a moment of celebration, but I think he'll also have a moment of levity. It's funny. There's a big um, documentary that just aired in Serbia on Jokic and and sort of his rise. And in it, he says, "I know just because some people send the translation that he hopes to be Denver's Tim Duncan and stay his entire career here." Now I know a lot of players say that. I mean, not every player that's ever made that proclamation has ended up sticking to it, but it does give me hope because obviously he's been so great to the city of Denver. It does give me hope that he'll be a rare example. I think of, he'll uh, do it. I'm betting he'll do it. All right, I like it. Your confidence, his confidence. I'm in. What else? All right. This is uh, one that I'm personally interested in. Uh, Coach, what do you think is at the root of Denver's season-long struggles in the third quarter? Mm. That is an interesting one. <laughs> I mean, that, that's so hard for me. Um, I, I think a little bit of it is because of in, an inconsistent roster. So many multiple different changes in lineups. And, I mean, not only little changes, but major personality changes, I think creates an uncertainty. And um, uh, I just think that I think the whole season, this season, last season, it just doesn't have a great rhythm and, and build, builds a connection and confidence that most NBA seasons have. At this time of the year, we kind of know who the top four or five teams are, and we don't know. Mm. You just got done saying right, we, right. we don't know who the top four or five NBA basketball teams are right now. I think everybody will throw Brooklyn in there, but I don't trust Brooklyn right now. I'm sorry. I, they got to show me something in the next couple rounds. Next round is going to be great with them. I'm impressed yeah. with Milwaukee. And, and so we have a, a series that we really don't have a favorite. There's not a favorite right now. I don't, I don't care how much you love the Lakers. You're not betting on the Lakers right now. I don't care who you are, unless you're just a total loyal, diehard guy. Um, you know, three days ago, we thought the Clippers were down the toilet. <laughs> they turned it around. And the Lakers were going to win it. And now the Lakers look like they're down the toilet. And it looks <laughs> like the Clippers are going to win it. So we're mystified by, I think, because of that, the uncertainty, the crazy schedule, uh, the, you know, personality changes doesn't build a lot of continuity. Yeah. Get right. a couple more here. These are good. This like came in while you were talking about how Portland is making Michael Porter Jr.'s life a little bit of hell right now. In your opinion, how would you get MPJ open looks? 
Um, I, you know, I, I, I think I would know what his favorite plays are. I would stay away from jump shots. I would stay away from trying to get him downhill, maybe to the rim, and trying to get a foul, get him fouled. I don't, I, don't, I haven't seen many post up games with him, but you know, he's being covered by a guy smaller than him in Powell. Maybe post him up. I don't know. Maybe give him an opportunity to get an easy basket. Get an offensive basket, maybe back cut him out of the corner to get a dunk. Is there a lob play that I could get him maybe an opportunity to get an easy basket? I'd like to get him six points in the game easy rather than making trying to take three threes and make two of them. Hmm. Do you feel like the onus is more on him to sort of overcome something or on the team and Coach Malone to get him in his comfort spots? I mean, they all have a responsibility. I, mean, I really think it's, you know, again, I, I always throw this out because I love point guards. I mean, I mm -hmm, think, yeah. can Faku come up with a play? Is there a pick and roll slip or something? Then I can help him get an easy basket. And I think Malone might have a, again, does he have a lob play out of the first time out that gets him a lob play? Do you throw him a post up? Uh, you know, there's all types of different ways but in the, in the, also in the sense that the best way for Michael Porter Jr. to have a great game tonight, he gets into the flow of the game, he gets into the rhythm of the game, and you can feel that he's engaged. As where the last game we saw him totally disengaged. Yeah. Let's get one more, Kelly. You got one more great one? All right, this is a good one to end on. Can Coach indicate one thing that Nuggets as a team can improve easily and fast, but they just haven't been doing it? So heading into the last three games, what's the one easiest, adjustment? Yeah, what's the adjustment. easiest adjustment you could see? Oh, for me, it, I mean, anytime when – the thing I would be looking at as a coach going into this game is I want better shot selection and I want lesser turnovers. And there was about a half a dozen unforced turnovers by Porter Jr. I think had three. Millsap had a couple. They just kind of fumbled the ball to the defense. And I know it looked like Portland was trying to come down on the dribble a little bit more than they were earlier in the series. But I like that. I like to see an offensively fresh, clean, sharp game. Mm. Because I think I don't think Portland is a great defensive team. But they've kind of found a little magic there, and they're going to come out with that. And if we can take that away from them and go back to the normal Portland defense, I think we'd be in a better place. All right, everybody, that does it for this edition of the Keeping It 1000 podcast. Remember, this is also a podcast, so you can subscribe on iTunes. You can leave a rating and review, um, and you'll never miss an episode when they come in. Sometimes we've been doing these live lately, and I've been liking it. I've been liking seeing all the fan interaction and everybody talking. Um, but if you do miss this one or you want to listen to it while you're driving to or from work, you can check that out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcast. Meanwhile, hit the like button on your way out, everybody, and we'll see you all next time.